Hit it. Alright. It's rolling. Welcome to the well. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the well. I'm Anson Mount. And I am Brandon Edgens. <laughs> This is the first time uh, we've uh, seen each other in quite a while. You've been up in Canada shooting Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, and this is so you've been gone for a long time. Yeah, and this is a big. I mean, I was gone for six months, so it's been at least six months since I've seen you in the flesh. At, at the very least, uh, and before that, I mean, not before that. I mean, like since then, it's only been. Uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast remotely yeah if, if although seldomly quite frankly yeah but when we did it was remote so it's very very nice to be here and yeah here we go clink clink that's the sound of two glasses clinking that's the sound of me spilling bourbon on my shirt <laughs> so I've, as i recall last time we did an episode we were we we were talking about when we're going to get back into a regular season. And I, <laughs> I know, right? And we, and, we, and we made some just, kind of, and we made some kind of vague promise yeah, about like it's yeah. coming, it's coming, coming soon. Yeah, I know, and I hope you guys. Uh, th- first of all, thank you guys for being so patient with us. Uh, I hope you do believe that we really are going to. We do have episodes uh, that are in the can, unedited, mm-hmm. that we uh, have been working on. Yep, they're coming. It's just you know, as I was telling Brandon today. You know, not acting for two years and then being slammed into six months of <laughs> solid. I mean, you know, they just came, they, uh, they only came out of lockdown in Ontario on, I think, June 14th or something. Uh, so it was literally just home, soundstage, home, soundstage, just acting, acting, acting every waking moment. I feel jarred. Mm-hmm. I feel creatively jarred a bit, uh, which is a privileged thing to be able to say. Basically, we, we, we want to do these episodes when they're going to be fun. And you have been dealing with a lot more than I have. Mm-hmm. You've, uh, it's been a hell of a year for you and your wife. Yeah. I, I mean, fairly private about that stuff. But I can share that we've, in the past uh, year and a half, I've lost uh, my dad, my father-in-law, and a sister-in-law, uncle-in-law. This has been... Uh, Sharon and I have been going to a lot of funerals. Anyone who's been through it knows the, the, the strange thing about this experience is that it gets very busy. Yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot of business around um, around dying. And um, yeah, and it keeps you, in, in a way it's good because with no cultural clear path forward on how to grieve, um, it keeps you moving forward because there, there's a lot to do in the absence of, of someone and I would like, I would like to say a word about uh, my sister-in-law Eileen and people use the expression pillar of the community quite a bit 
and sometimes it's applicable, sometimes it's not. But in the case of Eileen, her, it was absolutely applicable, and her funeral was about a two-day affair in Minnesota. The mayor came, there were proclamations, it was Eileen her day, uh, state senators came, governor came, mayor wow. came. Um, and it was, it was astonishing to get all those people under one roof and hear everyone. Because Eileen never spoke about her work or what she did, uh, helping underserved communities, you know, get access to, to, to services and programs. Uh, I, I mean, I, even right now, I don't even know where to begin because she had so many titles and worked and was on so many boards. Uh, I'm already feeling terrible right now because I can't, I, I don't know where to start. But she never talked about these things with us. With us, she was just Auntie Eileen and, uh, you know, doted on the kids. So it was an amazing, humbling experience to be on, on for everyone uh, whose lives she impacted to be under one roof, all sharing it. And we all had the same reaction. We all had, we were all amazed. We couldn't believe, like, wait a minute, she was doing what with your group? She was doing what? How did she do all of this? How could one person be the linchpin for so many programs and services that positively impacted so many people? So, uh, yeah. I had to say a word about Eileen. It was, it's, uh, yeah, tough. Yeah, but that's, I, I gotta say, that's a really good way of looking at it, Brandon. I've, I've always said that, you know, one of the most difficult parts of losing a loved one is all the crap you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like, you almost don't have time to grieve, but I, I never really considered that maybe that's a blessing, mm. that it, it, pull, it does pull you forward. Yeah. yeah, it gives you something to do because it's very paralyzing otherwise. Yeah. And what do you do in the absence of taking care of taking care of the business? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Eileen left behind a lot of business. Uh, but it's it, it, but even then that serves as a uh, positive pull forward because you can't let everything that she was working on just come to a stop. Right. You know, to to sort of honor her you, and and to celebrate her, you have to we have to keep those things forward. So Sharon and I are going to go back to Minnesota for a while and. Uh, find out in what ways we can help uh, Eileen's legacy live on. Yeah. But, so, yeah, it's been, uh, that's been one of the things, <laughs> everyone, <laughs> that has kept us from uh, getting together uh, in front of the mic for a while. Um, uh, but, yeah, you've been busy. Uh, and, and, and in a weird limbo kind of world, I can't imagine, you know, like Toronto being locked down. It must have felt like 28 days later, and then you were like... <laughs> Like right then, like then, like now. Let's go to a very quiet stage. Well, it was also like wait you know, for... it was for a while there. It was almost like the entire country was like being locked in a Sherman tank. It was uh, <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. Uh, at one point, my wife was going to drive back, and uh, we felt like we needed another tarp for the back of the pickup truck. So um, I went to our. Um, the well, the Canada's version of the Dollar General, and uh, walked in. And I said, "Do you have tarps?" And she said, "Yes, but I can't sell you one." And I said, well, <laughs> "I said, well, why not?" She said, "Well, it's not necessary." And I said, "Well, it's, <laughs> I think it's pretty damn necessary." <laughs> that's that's what you say. I'll tell you when I've had enough. <laughs> she said, "No, we're not allowed to sell you anything that's not food or uh, uh, toiletry or." cleaning product right now and i was like okay i'm here <laughs> i'm in the store there's a tarp right there i can see it but you can't sell it to me um but but 
we got through it. I cannot believe that the production again didn't get shut down. But the real reward was being able to finish out principal, uh, get in my truck, uh, or so. No, sorry, Dara had the truck, got in, her, got in the SUV, and uh, drove home to uh, open the envelope that would tell me and my wife the gender of our baby. And uh, no, I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's like that thing, you know. We met with our, our midwife, as I told you earlier, and midwife asked me how I wanted to be involved, and I said, my job is to keep my mouth shut and do what I'm told. <laughs> and I am perfectly ready to do that. Can you do both of those things? <laughs> it's a tall order. I don't know. Yeah. Key to a happy marriage, gentlemen. <laughs> Just remember that. So with that said... Um, on with the drop. Yeah, on with the drop. Like, what have we been watching, seeing, reading? Where where should we start? Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. All right. Uh, there's a thing that we have in common that we're going to get to, so I won't do that first. Um, but have you seen Bo Burnham's Inside? I have not, and so many people have told me that I have to see this. You do have to see this. I concur with all those I've heard, I've heard nameless he, people. He wins he wins lockdown. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does win lockdown. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not some people okay, going all the way back. I I was never I was only vaguely aware of Bo Burnham. And by the way, this is on Netflix? This is on that, Netflix. Okay. Yeah. I I'm only vague, I was only vaguely aware of Bo Burnham before this. Uh and he'd been kind of a YouTube star, he like back when he was a kid, I want to say like 14, 15, he was writing songs. Really? Yeah. He's doing like songs in his parents' basement, you know, just sitting there playing the keyboard, writing funny songs. Incredibly smart. And for some reason, I want to point out at the beginning, before I say anything else about him, he's 6'5". Wow. He's this really tall dude. <laughs> and very smart. And uh, he, he's, uh, my, my uh, assessment of his career was without knowing much about it. So the funny thing is I'm going to make stuff up and people are going to go, Brandon has doesn't know anything about Bo Burnham. But here's my imagined version. Um, he, early YouTube star, got a big following. And then, of course, naturally the next thing is you have to leave your parents' basement. You start touring. He did that for a while. And his touring stuff is, you know, part stand-up, part musical performance. Uh, apparently he started having uh, panic attacks and having issues being on performing on stage. And he went away for a couple of years to work on his mental health. And then he felt like, man, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. I'm ready to go on stage. I'm going to start planning a tour. And I'm going to start that tour January of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, well, you know what happened. And then God yeah. laughs at your plans. <laughs> and, then, and then we all know what happened. Uh, and so then he got, he had this momentum and this fuel. And then it was kind of, in some ways, it was sort of his, a, a nightmare for someone who was like, I've been shut in too long. I've been by myself for too long. I'm ready to get out there. I'm ready to share myself with the world. And you can't leave your house. And so he's a gifted filmmaker in addition to musician. He's so good uh, with the camera. And this whole thing was made by maximum of two people. Some people will say one. He had a little help from, I think, his girlfriend who would do things like, you know, cue lights and turn on the camera and things like when he couldn't do it. But it's essentially a one-man show. 
uh, of him in one room over the course of a year watching him come up with material, perform material, and uh, his hair getting longer and longer, his beard getting longer and longer through the course of this hour and a half long special episode. And you start to watch him truly battle some mental health issues. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, it can be kind of a fraught viewing sometimes. It's not like, ha-ha, funny the whole time. I mean, I think, the ins- I think it is incredibly funny, but it isn't without some, uh, uh, some heavy moments. But I think those heavy moments are what makes it, you know, you know you, you'll know what I mean when I say this. It's the heavy moments are what makes the funny moments so much more meaningful because he found the comedy. He found the humor. He's just been very honest with you about some ideations that he's been having, and now he's going to start making jokes about it. You're like, that is strength. Mm. And you watch this guy, like, it's, it's very, very, very honest. I mean, I could... I could quibble about some of the performative aspects of it, but I, he's he's completely honest all the way through. And just, a, just he's so talented. He's one of those people who's so talented that I kind of hate him. Because he's <laughs> so good. He's so funny. He's such a good musician. He's a great filmmaker. He's a good actor. This is too much hmm. for one dude to be this good. At, and I have to mention... This is the same guy Bo Burnham wrote and directed Eighth Grade, which is one of my favorite movies from like two years ago. He wrote and directed a feature film about uh, this girl in eighth grade. One of my favorite films of the decade. He's, he's brilliantly directed. I don't know how he did it. and He somehow managed to <sighs> empathize and tell a story from the perspective of a girl in the eighth grade. How does a 25, 28-year-old dude do that? Mm. It, was, it was remarkable. He's a very, 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 very talented man. That's and I look for, and he's only thirty. Oh man! He just turned thirty. In fact, in fact, he turns thirty on the special. <laughs> his, oh there's man! A, there's a shot of him sitting on a bar stool, looking at a clock, and you don't know why he's looking at the clock, and like it's like twelve fifty, uh, uh, sorry, eleven fifty nine, and then it, like it turns twelve, and he's like, turning thirty. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, Bo Burnham inside Netflix. It's amazing. Mm. It's your turn. Oh, well, with me, you know, I've been on a science fiction kick for several mm. years now. And uh, there's some, been some books on my list that I wanted to, to knock out. And um, I just read science fiction voraciously. And I, I discovered this book that I don't know why I had been avoiding it for so long because it's on so many people's top lists of the best science fiction books of the past like 20 years um maybe because the dude's last name is tchaikovsky (laughs) and i thought that was a pen name i don't think it is adrian tchaikovsky who's british Mm. um wrote this this book is called children of time Hmm. it's so well done he is, you know, there are a lot of science fiction. They're big on the ideas. The execution sometimes is not great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This guy is a truly a writer. He's a very good writer. But he's also got some big ideas in this thing. So the, t- the, the opening of the book is a 
a group of terraformers in another so solar system, uh, humans from Earth, who have terraformed a planet and one of the things that this group is doing, instead of just planting humans on it, they're going to, they've brought apes and they're going mm. to put apes on the planet and then with a, with a virus that they've designed that will help the apes to uh, evolve mm -hmm. at, a, at a heightened pace. Mm -hmm. And something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what? <Right? laughs> There's always an inciting incident, right? But what happens is that the apes don't make it to the planet, but the virus does, and oh, it ends the apes don't make up. It? The apes, the apes don't make it. Okay. The virus makes it, and the dominant species becomes the ported jumping spider. <laughs> You're already clapping. Yes, I love the idea. It, you'd you'd really dig this book actually because it's it's the biology the the, the mm -hmm. it's a very very deep dive into biology, and you get to see this species evolve. At the same time, human civilization has that that was trying to terraform these planets ultimately collapses, and there's a new civilization that's born out of it. So this is the first ship from the new civilization that has they've found information leading them to the star system and they're coming to check out they hope that there is a terraformed planet with human intelligent humans mm -hmm. that they can reunite with they've escaped earth and hijinks ensue <laughs> <laughs> this is comedy. but what's amazing is that 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 he utilizes the very necessary you know he 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 definitely does not violate the standard of time. And so uh, deep sleep, long sleep, he mm. utilizes in a way I've never seen before. So his protagonist wakes up into different generations I see. of the ship, into uh -huh. different, even different cultures yeah. that are aboard the ship. Uh -huh. uh, and it's it's so, it's just very, very exciting the entire read i've now read the second book which is children of ruin and i can't wait for the third one so uh children of time adrian chaikovsky if you like sci-fi you'll be just pleased as punch with this i got ethan pack hooked on him and then i um on a lark one day during lunch i was like i wonder what if he's on twitter adrian chaikovsky's on twitter so i went out and he was already following me so I, <laughs> so i sent him a message <laughs> It, uh, telling him that me and Ethan are like devouring his his books, and uh, he's uh, he he's a really lovely guy as well. And I told him that if he ever makes it to, to Toronto, we'll uh, put him in the captain's chair. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've been reading. I don't know if anyone does. Um, yeah, of course everybody does. This is everyone gets their books electronically now. But you know, you just get the you finish one book and then it offer it, you know, suggest another one. I've never heard of this writer Stephen Wright, which of course immediately I thought was a comedian. Right. But it's not. <laughs> not right. W R I H G T <laughs> right. Uh, uh, this book uh, called Processed Cheese, and. Uh, there's a little blurb in there from Stephen King that just, just said, like, you know, I couldn't, you know, this I've never laughed so hard. It's 
it's a it's a it's a fiction. It takes place in some sort of alternative satirical future or nowish universe. The, the all the names in this book are is where all the funds are, all the nouns. So graveyard and ambiance are the are the couple, and they end up accidentally. Mister Menu, who is this multi gazillionaire, drops a giant endless bag of money accidentally over the edge of his condominium loft, and graveyard takes it home. And now suddenly, graveyard and ambiance have endless cash. So what happens when uh, a regular Joe and a regular Jill get endless cash? And so this book is just sort of this, of this adventure, but the fun of it is how much fun this author, Stephen Wright, has with making up, it's not quite Clockwork Orange level, but it's you know making, making up language. And I'll try reading a paragraph and I'll see how I do. Okay. After they repaired the damage and spruced up their mirrored selves as best they could, they went for dinner to the inner sequence where, for the moment, all the famous rich thin people were supposed to go to eat. The specialty of the place was arranging the food on the plate in alphabetical order. <laughs> Whenever anyone ordered the super simulated diamond butter steak for two, the chef rang a little bell. Graveyard and ambience didn't cook anymore. The top of their brand new burnt offerings dual fuel range with 10 different cooking modes and digital everything was piled high with glossy boxes of cutting edge electronics everyone could live without. The interior of the oven was stuffed with snacks. They liked snacks, all things salty and sugary. They had snooker chips. They had bango nuts. They had cheesy subs. They had toasted pepper whackers and fruity patooties and loopy crisps. <laughs> And fudgy wudgy pudgies, their favorite. A cookie inside a cookie. Munching on all this nasty fun kept their glucose levels up until their next restaurant debauch. They went out for every meal. They went to all the places they wouldn't have been going for, to for years if they had the money. They went to do not attempt. <laughs> they had the early runoff soup. The spatchcocked goonie bird with a horny nut gramolata. Licky finger maker. <laughs> licky finger... <laughs> Lick, lick my fingerlings. <laughs> Jolly-fied greens, bread spindles, and wareberry pie in a zesty hard luck sauce. They went to the Superior Calco, burned blackened butter and bruised. They went to Tinder Hydraulics. <laughs> they had the weasel rolls and the hibiscus-dusted, laser-seared, Cape Buffalo Delight and grilled Jimson stalks and random glissade piers and a puddle of armored melon gastrique, then back to Do Not Attempt, that melty mouthy bird, those tingling taters. <laughs> it's just the energy of the writing. It's so much fun to read. I was just I don't even I don't even know what happened. And I'm just kind of like and, the, and every almost every page is that way. It's like this guy is having so much fun coming up with proper nouns. But uh, anyway, I, I actually reckon if, if 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 my reading didn't put you off, if if you thought my reading was at all interesting, then go check out uh, Stephen Wright's Processed Cheese. <laughs> awesome. Are, are, are we are we gonna have to get ourselves around to um, the thing that you sent me that we had to watch? Oh yeah. So my wife left me. 
I'm so at sorry. the <laughs> she, well, trip. I should say she left Toronto. <laughs> oh, oh okay. okay. At the beginning of May to come back and tend the garden and, you know, do the home stuff and um she, and then and my mother came up to visit her because uh, that's how it works now. And uh, they discovered a show on Amazon Prime. They told me, well, Dara told me, you have to watch this and then you have to tell Brandon to watch it because <laughs> she knew that Brandon would love it. And it's called Clarkson's Farm. And uh, there's this very famous reality star in England. Uh, his last name is Clarkson. What's his first name? Oh, gosh, we should know this. Anyways, he was on Top Gear. It was a very, Jeremy very... Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson. Very, very popular uh, talk show, actually. Car-centric talk show in England. And he had, um, through his newly acquired wealth, he had purchased a, um, a defunct farm... In West Oxfordshire, getting oh, the, he was going to get the farm going again, but then his 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 grounds guy his grounds guy who was going to do it for him uh, had to quit for some reason, and then he decided, you know what, I think I'm going to farm it myself, <laughs> <laughs> even though I don't know anything about farming, and I'm going to sell it as a reality show. Mm. So he did, and it starts out with him very honestly. Telling the camera, I, I can, I can point to a tractor. That's all I got. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to farm this land, and you're gonna join me on this journey. And it is fantastic. Yeah, he's a, fan, he's just an amazing host. An amazing sense of humor and a willing, a willingness to be the butt of the joke. Yeah, but you know what it is though. Like, uh, agree with all that. But I think what makes it work is that he has this this perfect. Um, you know, one foot on the gas, one on the brake ability to be like, I'm going to push this into an absurdity because, and sometimes you can't tell with him. Sometimes it's because he, I think he genuinely thinks he knows better. Sometimes I think it's because he knows this is reality TV and, you know, you got to create a situation. Uh, but not all the time. I think sometimes he genuinely thought that he had figured something out that <laughs> 10,000 years of other farmers hadn't figured out. And and he, and he pushes himself into the situation. and then But then he's very good at like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> because like, when, when it falls apart and fails, he's very good at like, well, I mean, did I... Did I pretend I had the answers? Like, well, actually, a few minutes ago, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he like his his consultant sends him to buy equipment with a, like a list of things he has to buy, and he doesn't know what these things look like, but he knows he has to get these things. And everybody, like, he's like, all, there's so many people he's running into of like missing digits or missing, you know, like, maimed. Oh, that's arms. right. They're literally missing fingers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I think farming might be more dangerous than I had thought, maybe. And there's a young kid. His name is Caleb. Yeah. The young yeah, yeah. kid who I think works in a neighboring farm, but he knows that land really well. Yeah, and it d clearly doesn't give a crap about the fact that a TV show is being shot. All he cares about is his reputation as a farmer and his being associated with this idiot. And his hair. He and, gets, and his hair. And his hair. He gets a new haircut every, like, a, and a totally new style every couple of weeks. 
<laughs> so it's called Clarkson's Farm, and it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, there's one season up. They mm-hmm. have done a second season, which I believe has aired in England, but has not made it to Amazon Prime yet. Uh, okay. But it's 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 well worth your time. Yes. I'll, I'll say that uh, I think one of the things that it pulls off most successfully is that you really do learn something. Oh, yeah. Accidentally, almost. Like, you don't realize how much you're learning about farming because he never foregrounds it. You're watching a, a guy struggle with his ignorance. And uh, through watching him struggle through it and make fun of it, and got a lot, there's a lot of bluster and bravado and dumb ideas along the way, but like you come out watching, you know, you know this, the old adage, you know, you learn most through mistakes. You know, you also learn a lot through watching somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> and that's the strength of that show is like, man, what a series of giant screw-ups this guy's made. <laughs> It also made me realize that, like, <laughs> farming is really pretty cool, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, his catchphrase for the whole, whole thing is, like, I grew a thing or I mm-hmm. made a thing. There is something to that that oh, is, yeah. like, that is, that is, that you get excited when the grain shows, like, the grain grows, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, and then when you find out that there's good grain and you get a good price for it, like, it's, it's, uh, it really gave me an appreciation for why, uh, farming can be an addictive trade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing else quite... Yeah, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. Um, so I have another thing. Um, now, last time I did a, uh, uh, a whole... We had a whole uh, Criterion Collection rabbit hole, which I don't, don't intend to do again. Um... But I kind of want Anson to see a clip of something here. I'm going to show it. And I want to see what you think. Okay, what is this? Well, I can't tell you what it is yet. I want, I want you to say what it reminds you of. Terry Gilliam. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Early, yeah. Mo- early Monty Python, Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And here's the thing, like this is actually what we're watching right now is not really the best example of it. Um, I think this stuff is gorgeous. Uh, but you'll see in this in this film and some others, well, we should probably let the viewer, the listeners in on what we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we're looking at is the work from a, uh, a Czech filmmaker named um, Carol Zeman who was active through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and whom I did not realize, one of my filmmaking idols, Terry Gilliam, totally ripped off. I mean, lock, stock, and barrel, everything. Uh, I, and, and by the way, this does not actually, it, it, it informs my opinion of Terry Gilliam. It doesn't damage it. I think Terry Gilliam is doing his own thing. Um, but... That kind of distinct animation style that people know from watching Monty Python and you know uh, Flying Circus, anyone who knows uh, Terry Gilliam at all, would think of this animation as Gilliam-esque, and it almost has that t- name to it because it's so distinct. Well, I'm here to say now that it's not Gilliam-esque; it's Zeman-esque. It is, and and Gilliam, when he doesn't need to be confronted, he's actually always been very vocal about this. Just that no one asked him. 
and nobody cares. He's always been an advocate. In his mind, his work is a way of trying to point people back to Zeman. You know, mm. he's always been t- utterly transparent about his worship of Zeman and his combination of live action and animation. Uh, masterful combination of animation and uh, and live action. And so I watched Carol Zeman's The Fabulous Baron Munchausen. And of course, uh, this is made back in late 60s, early 70s. I should know, but it's around there. And Gilliam went on to make his in, uh, let's say, early 90s or so. Um, and it was a kind of a dis- box office disaster. Um, even though it's visually extraordinary, I really like Carol Zeman's version better. Mm. It's so funny. And uh, yes, I saw it on uh, Criterion, but it is also available, uh, I think, on Apple TV, Apple iTunes. You can buy it at the Apple iTunes store. So if, if you're into Py- early Python and Terry Gilliam and you don't know about Carol Zeman, you really need to go check out Carol Zeman's work. And I would start with the fabulous... Baron Munchausen. It's, it's just, it's, aesthetically, it's so beautiful. I, I couldn't believe it, and it just seems to be way ahead of its time. I can't believe that this is, and and the style and even the sensibility of the humor, is very modern. It feels totally contemporary. Hmm. It doesn't feel like a fuddy-duddy, weird old, you know, '60s production. It feels contemporary. You said something earlier tonight that reminded me, for some reason, of a, of a film that I haven't seen in a while, but I recommend it all the time. And I'm, I'm glad that it, it came up tonight, because um, since what we've been doing is recommending films and TV shows and books, and it just occurred to me, wow, I should really be talking about this, this movie, since I recommend it so much. There is a movie called Heat. It is not... It is not the heat you're thinking of. The one with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino about the... The Michael Mann the, production. The, is it the Michael, was that Michael, Michael Mann? Mann. Yeah, yeah. That, that uh, based on a true heist. Uh, it's not that heat. It came before that heat. It's mid-80s movie <clears throat> starring Burt Reynolds and Peter McNichol. <laughs> written by the great William Goldman. Uh, one of the greatest screenwriters, maybe the greatest screenwriter mm-hmm. in the history of cinema. Uh, and it is, it's a, it's a really lovely film. It's, uh, Burt Reynolds plays a sort of strong man for hire in Las Vegas who has a gambling addiction, but he hasn't admitted it to himself yet. And Peter McNichol plays this guy who has invented some microchip gizmo that he has sold for a billion dollars at the age of like 29 and he's flush with cash and he's doesn't know what else to do and he has somehow found out about the Burt Reynolds character and he's tracked him down and he wants to pay him good money to teach him how to be tough (laughs) Right, and if you know if you know the actor I'm talking about, Peter McNichol, who is a wonderful actor, <laughs> he was in Ally McBeal. He's a very small stature, mm. and the two of them together in this movie is just is just so wonderful. Um, 
I, I highly recommend checking this movie out. It's it's called Heat, and it's I want to say it's around 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've my wife and I have been sort of going back and checking out earlier Burt Reynolds movies. We we had the privilege of seeing him in one of his maybe his last public appearance before he died at the Key West Film Festival. There there was a, a lovely uh, documentary. The name of it is escaping me right now about his friendship with his his chief stunt man. Yeah, do you remember that? I, I, I don't remember the name. Yeah, it it, it um it, it was about their their friendship and this guy went on to direct Cannonball Running or he yeah, I think he went on to direct Smoking the Bandit and Cannonball Run and became a very successful director. Hal Needman. Hal Needman. Hal Needham. Hal Needham. Hal Needham. Hal Needham. Mm-hmm. And you know what else Hal Needham direct, uh, oh, directed? Is, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, my God, no. You're gonna, I'm going to flip out. Megaforce. Yes. <laughs> Got, Megaforce. A number of years ago, Anson had a group of people over to his house to do sort of an impromptu mystery science theater viewing of Megaforce. And I remember watching that movie so many times on HBO as a kid. <laughs> and it's just... The most absurd thing. It's it's like it, and it's, it's kind of awesome. It's, it's it's so bad. It's yeah. It's awesome, especially when you get to the point in the film where you start to realize how much money they spent on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my lord. But but what's, what's the sort of batshit fun about it is that it was, um, you know, the studio going, people, you know. The people love spectacle. They like stunts. <laughs> Can we just skip the whole directing writing part and give all of our money to a stunt coordinator and just let him go nuts? Which is exactly how Megaforce and, happened. And that's how that's who Hal Needham was. He was yeah. a brilliant stunt coordinator and stunt man who uh, became best friends with the guy that he was stunting for, mm. and Bert gave him a shot and created a, an entire career out of it. Um, it's uh, what what was that documentary? We should we should. Oh yeah, this is the report. Well, let's see. It was who? Give give me a name that I can look up here. Uh, is it Burt Bert Reynolds? From Bert? Okay. Documentary. I'm scrolling through Burt Reynolds IMDb and I can't even find the bottom of it. You know, I actually was. <laughs> this is crazy. How I was it? actually researching. Uh, it's called The Bandit. Oh, okay. It's called The Bandit. Um, it came out in 2016. Anyways, um, Heat and also The Bandit, uh, especially if you're a Burt Reynolds fan. All right, let's wrap this thing up. All right. And normally, this is where the this is the point where I do a reading. All right. From Harper's, who needs to start <laughs> paying me or something because I keep stealing this, or they'll sue me. It's somewhere between paying me and suing me. Um, so. <laughs> This is better than a reading from Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> and lo, it did not gladden them in their hearts. Don't get me wrong, I like Ezekiel. It's one of the good ones. Um, not as trippy as the late stuff. Ezekiel's pretty trippy, man. It's trippy, but is it as trippy as uh, Revelations? That's... No, nothing's as trippy as Revelations. Man, that was that was. You need that third chapter. Uh, so this is from an email to Vince. Neil Stein, a co-editor at Metal Sucks magazine, uh, which is a pro-metal thing. It took me a while to figure that out. Uh, sent by a reader in Florida who calls himself Prince Midnight. And Harper's titled this, uh, 
bones to pick. Okay, this is from the letter. My uncle Philip died in the, in the 90s in Greece. He originally donated his skeleton to the local college. After 20 years, he ended up in a cemetery my family had to pay rent for, like literally in a wooden box. It's a big problem in Greece because Orthodox religion doesn't want people cremated. So I went through the channels to repatriate his remains. There's a lot more to the story, obviously. So I got the box of bones from Greece, and I didn't know what to do at first. Bury them? Cremate them? Put them in the attic? All seemed like poor ways to memorialize someone who got me into heavy metal. So I decided to turn Uncle Philip into a guitar. <laughs> Which proved to be challenging. Oh, no. <laughs> I did a lot of research, and no one has ever made a guitar out of a skeleton. So I did it. I started by consulting with two guys in Dean's Guitar Wood Shop in Tampa, but they got cold feet and quit. Anyhow, now Uncle Philip can shred for all eternity. Oh, no. That's how he would have wanted it. I'm super proud of the project and how it serves to honor him, his life, and his influence on me. If you think your readers might be interested... You don't even have to mention me. It's all about Philip. He plays perfect and sounds awesome. <laughs> now, here's my question. Can we do a quick YouTube search and oh. see if we can find Uncle Philip skeleton guitar? I think if we look for Prince Midnight. Prince, Hold on. Mi Prince Midnight. All of those things. Philip. Hold on a second. Uncle Philip guitar. Okay, let's try that. Okay. Do, 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 do. Oh, Jesus. Uncle Philip. It just came up. What? So, oh, no. Uncle Philip Skelecaster. Uh, Uncle it Philip just came Skelecaster. up in the search. It just came up. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my well, holy. We have to watch this right now. Shit, that's a human skeleton guitar. Like the hip bones on there. Yeah. Hip bones of the bass, uh, the whole rib cage. Okay, but what is this music? Um, yeah, what the... F oh, this is him showing how he... Yeah, it's not the... I want to hear graft. Uncle Philip. Why am I listening to this? This is showing how he grafted the strings to Uncle, Uncle Philip's hip bone. Hip bone's connected oh, to the... This is disgusting. Neck bone, the neck bone's connected to the tuning pegs. There's the got to be a video of him them. playing... I almost wanted to ask you when you're reading this if you if maybe it was like a prank letter, but no, this this is real. Yeah, he had to weld a bar through the spinal column up to the neck of the guitar. Uh, <laughs> then he had to make sure the neck and bridge would be exactly parallel. The guitar strings would freely ring. Well, yeah. First, people said it was sacrilegious in the work of the devil. You know how moms are. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but I asked her, Uncle Philip was the biggest metal head of anybody. Where would he rather be, in the ground or shredding? She said, 
shredding. Long, awkward pause. Download Killing Off My Superfans. Sign up for membership. Oh, okay. I can't Wait, believe... Go back to the search I want to hear... Oh, here we go. Here, here we, we go. go. Here we go. Is this going to be the sound of Uncle Philip? Here's the sound of Uncle Philip. Hey guys, Anson here. I just wanted to jump in for a quick moment to tell you that normally we like to save our credits to the very end of the episode, but this just seemed like too perfect of a moment not to use it to our advantage. So I just want to tell you that The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and me, Anson Mount. The theme music is Brandon, based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. And we'd really like to dedicate this episode with love and admiration to the memory of Eileen Herr. Thanks for listening, and there is more to come, so keep listening. All right. I'm, as an amateur guitar player, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the problem with that wasn't Uncle Phil. <laughs> I think Uncle Phil is doing his part and doing everything he can. Um, Is there anybody else playing Uncle Phil? No, there's no one else playing Uncle oh, Phil. Oh, no. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's going to have to be a guest. Yeah. But uh, anyway. We should that's, talk about that process, yeah. Yeah. I want to and ask him. Like, he should, he should, this should, Uncle Phil should be on loan to other. Uh, dude, metal guitar players would love to play Uncle Phil. Oh, yeah. And, that, and what more fitting a, a tribute could there be? Who's the current uh, guitar player for Danzig? That's no what idea. we need to know. No, you know what? I don't think there is a guitar player for Danzig. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is no guitar player for Danzig. Okay, now you just opened a can of worms. I just watched the worst movie I've seen in my whole life. Glenn Danzig wrote and directed a movie. Oh. And it's just... I would love to say everyone go watch it because it's so bad, it's good. It's not... It's No, it's just so bad, it's worse. It's just... Don't don't even bother. He He... Spent. I'm a huge Danzig fan, but yeah, he can't direct a movie. He, he, he apparently got like it's, it's supposed to be the sort of like horror erotic kind of a thing. So he got like some strippers from a club in L.A. and clearly spent all of like two days trying to make a feature film, and it's just a disaster. <laughs> it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, this is why I don't say. You know what? I'm going to take next year off and go be a rock star. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Danzig has one of the greatest voices in rock history. I love him. I love the music. I think he's awesome. He's just don't go make movies, Glenn. <laughs> it's not your thing. And it's okay. Because the thing that you're good at, you did better than almost anyone who ever attempted it. So be proud of that. Hang your hat on that. You know... That, that's your legacy. <laughs> that's your legacy. We'll just pretend this directing thing didn't happen and just, shh, just move on. All right. I'm going to shut this off. Wait. Wait, what? I want to read something. Oh, okay. Um, people people are, are writing in with reviews, and now we're going to start reading them because okay. people are kind enough to write thoughtful reviews on iTunes. Uh, from The Real Bram, who wrote, just picked up 
the Well podcast and flew right through it. I can't get enough of this thought-provoking series that examines inspiration and creativity with really in-depth and personal interviews with some truly fascinating folks. To top it off, the hosts are both incredibly engaging and entertaining. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Oh, my God. Ah, that's great. That's, like... That's humbling. That really is. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you, The Real Bram. Seriously, that's humbling. That's really, oh my gosh. Somebody else wrote Brain Food from Flipchick76. I'm only into the first dozen or so episodes, and I am hooked. I wish I had found these sooner. The content tells such beautiful and inspiring stories. That really makes me think and makes me feel like these are conversations I would love to have in the real world. It feeds that curious side of my mind that I have been missing. Looking forward to working my way the... And then... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Someone, I think, hit enter before they were finished writing the review. So it's kind of like... That inscription in the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, it can be found in the castle of... <laughs> Perhaps he died while dictating. No. So thank you so much, Flipchick76. We understand. We hope you're okay. Uh, because your review ends with looking forward to working my way, the... And then nothing. So thank you so much for writing in and leaving that review. It, it, uh, it, it warms our cockles. <laughs> Uh, all right. S- sign off. Say something clever. <laughs> Let's go get more bourbon. Let's get more bourbon. And watch heat. And watch heat. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.